The good life is found in the presence of Christ. And Jesus has made it clear that if we happen to be looking for him, we know where to find him. And sometimes he finds us. Last week during Ask the Pastors, we talked a, a bit about how the Bible came to be and how we arrived at uh, various translations and so forth. Most of us can uh, find uh, the Bible passage we're looking for right on this device most of us have in our pocket, right? These days, in what seemed like a, a kind of a sci-fi futuristic thing not so long ago. I mean, when I went to college, we didn't even have cell phones, if you can imagine such a thing. We had to stand in line at a phone to call home uh, and say hi to mom and dad. But today, uh, I can say, here is it. Find Bible verse John 3.16. And... Okay, I found this on the web for find Bible verse John 3.16. Check it out. There it is. I, I mean, we, uh, it, it's not quite called... John 316, but for God so loved the world, God gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. From Amazon to Siri to other digital assistants, we can find what we're looking for. We can speak to these devices and they can transcribe what we've said. Sometimes they get it wrong, uh, even as indicated in that little playback right there. Most of us have probably been frustrated at times with the results uh, that we get. One guy told Siri that he was going to jump off a bridge, and Siri replied, I found seven bridges near you. <laughs> it's probably not as compassionate as we'd like it to be. Uh, you, can have, uh, you can have your voicemail messages transcribed so that uh, if you'd rather read them than listen to them, that's available to you, though there are often mistakes made in that transaction. Here, uh, one uh, Redditor's voicemail was transcribed uh, this way, Hello, Aaron, service technician. I have a work order to repair your grandma. Please call to schedule a time. I don't know, maybe it wasn't a mistake, but it seems like it was likely not what uh, that person actually said. Long before these technologies showed up to be so helpful, there were good old-fashioned human errors being made as uh, scriptures were being translated. Thou shall commit adultery is one English translation that made it into thousands of printed Bibles. Uh, thou shall commit adultery. I was wondering about the guys who finally decided to take the Bible, out, the Gideon Bible out of the hotel uh, drawer and read it and read that. <laughs> the King James it was, is particularly prone to these kinds of errors. So, know ye not that the unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God? Made it into print. Uh, this one I kind of like. Go and sin one more. <laughs> I just... It's sort of like last call, or, you know, you get one more and that's it. And uh, in Matthew chapter 5, part of today's passage of Scripture, thousands scratched their heads as they read in their Bibles, blessed are the placemakers. Well, of course, it's reminiscent of Monty Python's blessed are the cheesemakers, which is even better, but 
When I was in seminary, students were encouraged to volunteer to help lead the daily chapel services. Back in those days, the campus was full of students, all of married student housing was full, and the dorms were full, and so, you know, chapel brought in each morning a lot of people, and it was a little bit nerve-wracking because all of the all of our professors were there at worship for those chapel services at 10 o'clock each morning. They all sat over on the left side in one cluster. We called it the Sanhedrin when we were uh, in school there. Uh, occasionally, one of them would act, literally heckle during uh, uh, a student preaching, but those were the good old days. A friend of mine at the time, first-year seminary student along with me, was leading the prayers at one of those services, and he boldly proclaimed, into your hands, O Lord, we condemn all those for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy. Well, of course, there's a difference between commend and condemn. It was not lost on the Sanhedrin. The thing about this Sermon on the Mount as we begin a series uh, this morning on the good life, The thing about these Beatitudes is that, you know, they sound like maybe they are a bunch of transcription errors. Blessed are the meek? (laughs) I don't think so. Then Jesus began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we spend these next several weeks exploring the theme of the good life as it relates to this passage, it seems like strange advice we're getting from Jesus. And here's the thing, it would have seemed just as strange to the crowds listening to Jesus a a couple thousand years ago. Years ago, I was privileged to stand there on my 30th birthday on the mountainside in Tiberias on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, where tradition holds that Jesus gave this Sermon on the Mount. There is a chapel there now called the Chapel of the Beatitudes, a beautiful spot. And we all sat down there on the hillside and we listened to these words. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain and he sat down and he began to speak, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I remember looking out over the Sea of Galilee in the distance, imagining the crowds full of desperate people, worried about illness and poverty and looking for hope and thinking maybe this itinerant Jewish rabbi has the answer. The politicians and the powerful religious leaders were there too. They were milling about on the fringes. But they were already blessed. Their flowing robes indicated wealth and and status and religious pedigree. They feasted at big tables. They were already living the good life, most of the folks there would have said. So when you really do think about what Jesus is saying here, Isn't this just about the opposite of what the world refers to when we talk about the good life? I'm not sure this message even lines up with most of what good Christian folk believe today. Blessed are the unemployed, 
the suffering refugee mother separated from her child, those who are crying their eyes out, those who are content to wait, those who hunger and thirst for justice, to live in fear or, or shame, to be able to keep your act together, to be quietly patient. Most people look at you as if there's something wrong with you, if you're like that. We don't want to hear that kind of thing when we come to church. Thank you very much. Let's, let's keep it positive. And shouldn't we be preparing our, our kids, our children, for the real world? Work hard. Keep your nose to the grindstone. Keep your problems to yourself. If you're unemployed, get a job like everybody else. If you're depressed, take a pill. Get some counseling. And people who are content to wait are going to be left behind. And every time some celebrity preaches a version of, of, of this message, it goes viral. And I see it on the Facebook pages of many of my friends. You get what you pay for. You get what you have coming. Unless you hang around with Jesus. When I was in confirmation at Atonement Lutheran in Bloomington, they made us memorize the Beatitudes. We had to memorize them. And uh, now I think I know why they, they just didn't know what else to do with them. I mean, nobody ever suggested we should try to be like them. We would have laughed them out of the room. So they said we should just, we should memorize them. Why? So what if I can recite by memory the whole Sermon on the Mount? If I know all the Beatitudes, if I don't need my phone to look up Bible verses, Life is about being successful. It's about staying out of trouble. About getting accepted into a good school. Finding a successful and rewarding career. Great family. Good house. You don't expect me to take this beatitude stuff seriously now, do you? Jesus? Blessed are the hungry, the grieving, the hated, the left out, how does any of this get us closer to living the good life? Part of the catch is the Beatitudes simply are not advice. Jesus isn't telling anyone what we should be doing here. When Jesus is giving advice, it's pretty hard to miss. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who curse you. Love, do, bless, pray. Now that's advice, and it's for the rich or the poor, the hungry or the well-fed, the weeping or the joyful. The people Jesus blesses in the Sermon of the Mount, the unnamed, faceless, forgotten, neglected, abused, oppressed, displaced people of the world, they know who they are. They did back then, and they do now. And I know that there are surely a few of you in this holy space with us right now this morning. I know that. The world has landed on you in one way or another or somebody that you love. So you know fear or sadness or grief or illness, depression, anxiety. The good life. The Beatitudes, this Sermon on the Mount continues to echo across the valley of the shadow of death, across the ages, across the distance to let everyone know that they are not alone. And this may well sound a bit cliche. If things are going well for you at the moment, 
and for those you love. But if you are suffering in some way this morning, then this message is yours. It is for you. The rest of us should probably look to get as close as possible to those who are hungry. If we're looking to be in the presence of Jesus, we should get as close as possible to those who weep, those who thirst for righteousness, those striving for peace, whether you're reaching out to someone in your own family or helping to provide a safe home for a poor family in a village somewhere in Tanzania on the lower slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro, or you're helping a young Afghan family make a home in our community after being forced to flee their own birthplace and all of the people that they love or you're serving among those in need in Jamaica, or you're delivering meals in and around Brooklyn Park, the good life is found in the presence of Christ. And Jesus has made it clear that if we happen to be looking for him, we know where to find him. And sometimes he finds us, like right now at this table, Sometimes he finds us. It was in the night in which he was betrayed by his closest friends, by his own disciples. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup and gave thanks. He gave it for all to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It is shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. When these familiar texts come up, something like the Sermon on the Mount, I'm able to dig back through my files and see what I might have said last time or at some previous time. And I was, you know, some of them are not really accessible to me because they are in piles of yellow legal pad. You know, I can't, Siri can't help me find the files, but why I'm saving those is hard to know, but maybe someday uh, my grandkids can peruse through those piles of yellow legal pad. But the last time one was digitally available to me when I preached on the Beatitudes was 2005, and so I was able to pull up that message and look, and at the end of that message, as I was wrestling with this idea of the good life, if you will, and how Jesus is teaching us something else or some other way of seeing or entering that abundant life that he told us he came, that he promised. Uh, at the end of that message, I, and I, I, I spoke of a, a member of the congregation there at St. Matthew's. His name was John Flayhart. He was a real active member, uh, an older guy, and he was dying at the time. He was right at the end of his life. My father at that time, I have no memory of this other than my Sermon notes I just looked at this week in 2005 had gone into the hospital for a medical procedure. I was out, in, out east, and he was home here in, in Minnesota, so I had some anxiety, and I was using that to say, you know, how we can move in and out of the, uh, of the reality of those who mourn or those who grieve or those who fear. And I found myself among those who fear at the time. And I was going to visit John Flayhart, who was at home under hospice care, very near the end, um, hadn't spoken for a couple of days. Last time I saw him, wasn't able quite to speak, but when we did speak, I told him about my dad being in the hospital. So this final visit on the day of his death, I went to see John, and he fought his way through the cloudiness to, when he saw me there, and, and John asked me, how's your dad? So this 
uh, this idea that the good life is about winning somehow or about some nationality or, or some race or even some religion, that it's about some kind of triumph is always wrestled away from us by the gospel. That in Christ, we are able to see God's presence in our weakness, in our brokenness. And the gospel has been proclaimed to me most clearly throughout my entire life by those who are suffering or mourning or grieving or feel fearful in some sort of way. This, I think, is a good word for each of us as we leave here contemplating the good life. So do we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you.